Hey, I will say this. It was fun. 90s basketball was a lot of fun playing against these dudes, man. Because they absolutely fought it every night. Five, four, three, two, one. Hill puts it on the floor. And stops anybody down. He brought the whole goal down. Matumbo embraces the ball and then unlikely upset. They're on their feet. A new NBA assist king, John Stockton. The crowd going crazy. To Michael, three, two, Michael, firing! What's up, everybody? My name is Brian Swain, and you're listening to the 90s Basketball Show. Let's get started. My guest this time did not have a long NBA career. He played 55 regular season games and three more in the playoffs. But it's not about the length of time that he spent in the NBA so much as the lengths that he went to get there. Drafted out of the University of Washington in 1993 by Atlanta, he was released by the Hawks on the eve of the regular season. He had another tryout the following year with the Utah Jazz, and again he was let go at the 11th hour. It wasn't until the NBA expanded to Canada for the 1995-96 season that he made the cut, finding a home with the Vancouver Grizzlies. He would also go on to play for the Los Angeles Clippers before concluding his career in Europe. That he persevered to make it to the NBA at a time when there was no G League, no two-way contracts, is something that anybody can draw inspiration from. So I'm excited to be able to talk to him about that journey now, as I welcome in Rich Manning. Rich, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me and share some of your memories. Um, Rich, before we start taking a look back, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're doing now? Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually a mortgage loan officer here in Sacramento, California. I've been doing this, um, geez, coming on 20 years now. Uh, almost since I retired from basketball. So it's really literally right since you stepped off the court from your last game almost. Almost, yeah. I mean, I was um, at the end of my career, I was playing overseas. And then, of course, September 11th, 2001 happened. And I was actually supposed to be on my way during that time back overseas to uh, to uh, Beirut. Um, yeah, Beirut. Um, but with that happening, it all dried up. I was kind of planning on uh, you know, taking the year off and then going back because my goal was to play 10 years. Uh, but um, circumstances happened that um, we had our third son born that year. So I quietly just kind of retired and, and kind of fell into this job and have worked my way up. And I've got a good uh, database and client base that uh, it's been very successful for me and allows me to follow other interests at the same time. Well, let's go back even further than 20 years. In fact, closer to 30 years to 1993 when you were drafted number 40 overall in the NBA draft by the Atlanta Hawks. And this is when your uh, your journey to try and make the NBA would begin. Now, you had a good run there in the in the, with the training camp of the Atlanta Hawks that year heading into the 93-94 season. You were just cut right before the season started? Yeah, the day before. And the funny thing is, the first time I've ever been cut from a uh, from a basketball team, so that was a little bit uh, a little bit difficult. But you know, professional ranks is a business, and, and really that's that's what it came down to. At that time, Atlanta wasn't holding people on their injured reserve. 
um, and developing them like they like most teams do now, um, and especially as the G League has come around. Um, so the option really was overseas or the CBA at, at, after that that um, episode. And as you mentioned that, Rich, I should probably reset things here just for people who might not be familiar or as familiar as to what the situation was like for players on the fringe of the NBA back in those days. There was no G League. There was no minor league affiliation uh, or development league affiliation with the NBA. They could carry up to 12 players on their roster, and then they could stash two on the injured reserve. And if you weren't on that, then then you were flat out released, and, and you have to go elsewhere. So maybe if you could explain a bit, Rich, what was it like being in that kind of that borderline area between the NBA and, and the CBA, trying to develop yourself, and yet in a situation where really the cards are kind of stacked against you? Well, and, you know, to be at that level, it's, it's you know, hundreds of a percent of a chance. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that I, my size was allowed me a lot of extra advantages. Um, but when you look at it, yeah, the CBA at that time was a – uh, Continental Basketball Association was a, a single entity. They they held their own draft, so they had your your draft rights for a certain amount of time for every player that was played was a fringe player. So I knew um, or quickly found out that once I was released from from Atlanta, I was uh, had been drafted to the Rapid City Thrillers in Rapid City, South Dakota. So I went directly into that camp and stayed there for a full year, um, basically learning and such. So uh, that was I was a rookie at that time, and and a lot of veterans were playing. That was a you know pretty successful team actually run by uh, a coach that has coached through uh, the NBA ranks and such too. Um, so it was a good experience and, and another opportunity for me to continue to get better. When you look back at those times, you know you are much more reliant on your agent than you might be this year because uh, you know, with the affiliations with the G League teams and stuff, there's a much deeper plan for a player development than there ever was before. And I think that model is very much similar to what happens in Major League Baseball. I think it is, and it's really amazing um, when you look back on it now to think that there wasn't any kind of sort of minor league affiliation system set up in basketball especially when you contrast it with what we have today. And I think that probably just you know speaks to the perseverance of players like yourselves who did what they could to make it back then. Um, so you spent uh, the 94-95 season, or pardon me, the 93-94 season in the CBA, and then heading into the next season, 94-95, you had another long run in training camp, uh, this time with the Utah Jazz. Correct. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm proud about is that when I got invited to a camp, I took it seriously, and I really pushed hard to make each team. And it, it, it really was, I was one of the last cuts both of those years. And, and so, um, you know, it, it just goes to show I, I worked hard. I put everything I could on the court. Um, I did my best to make it. But if you look back, too, is that during those times, that's when the NBA started to evolve and change a little bit. So, the players that played back to the basket were starting to fade off. Um, I mean, and then that's when like Dirk Nowitzki came around and became the stretch four and things of that nature where when I was playing center, I was an undersized center at, at seven foot and 260 pounds when I was facing a Shaquille O'Neal at seven, two and three forty, or a George Miras on at seven, seven and, and three sixty. You know what I mean? It's, 
it, those the big guys started to fade right about that time, the ninety ninety five ish um, into the uh, into the nineteen ninety nine, and you saw a lot more of, uh, of players that are played a little bit open, a lot more shooters that stretch the floor. And now what you see are the Kevin Durants that are playing at seven foot and they're playing the small forward. Manning, he has four since coming into the game. He can shoot the ball. He has an excellent touch. Were you sensing this at that time, Rich? Were you thinking that, you know what, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to stick, my game's going to have to change a little bit? You know, it's uh, what I sensed was the ability to, to, to be able to shoot the ball because uh, the pick and roll was even more prevalent than it is right now. Um, the pick and roll was the key thing. And, and what I, in the CBA, I started developing with my point guards is the ability to do that pick and roll or pick and pop. And I could shoot the ball, um, you know, to the three point range, but that, that middle uh, 17 to 20 foot range, right in the middle of where the defense's coverages are is where I found success. You know, I think if you look back, I think I was probably um, three for six or two for four from three-point line in my career, but it's something that I had been working on for a couple of years before that. And, um, you know, obviously the college line was closer, but um, I was strictly more of a back-to-the-basket player in college. So the situation with the Jazz, too, it looks like it pretty much came right down to the very end before they cut you as well. Yep. Based on your experience in the training camps with the Jazz and the Hawks, were you expecting to make the roster on either occasion? And and how did that experience shape what you did moving forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, as a competitor, yes. Every time I said, yes, I'm going to come to their camp, I expected to make the team. And yes, it was somewhat devastating when I didn't achieve that, that short-term goal. Um, but it shaped who I was and what I was becoming. And, you know, moving forward helped me realize what my, my point was to continue to follow my dream for as long as I could. And then what that instilled into my kids as they grew up. So you spent the 94-95 season in the CBA as well. Now here in 95-96, there's the Vancouver Grizzlies and Toronto Raptors expanding into the NBA. So there's 24 new jobs. And you get your crack with Vancouver and finally make uh, stick on a roster. You finally make it and get into the league. What was it like at that point in time? Did, did you have much familiarity with Canada? And was there an excitement about coming into a new country? There was definitely excitement around it, especially with the expansion side of it. And, you know, more than anything, what I was really excited was to be around the guys that I was. If you remember, Byron Scott was, was part of that expansion draft. So he was in the locker next to me. Greg Anthony was the point guard that was part of that expansion draft. So I got to spend some good time with him and get to know him. And these are guys that obviously I looked up to Byron playing for the Lakers and such when I was in college. But with Greg Anthony, 
he was at UNLV just a little bit ahead while I was also still in college. So it's guys that I had been watching, been seeing around, but um, have gotten had gotten some NBA experience. So people that I wanted to learn from and say, okay, what's how do I stick? How do I keep being a player? How do I be the right professional instead of a fringe type of player? So that's what I remember the most about that, other than getting to know uh, Bryant Reeves. Um, he was a, a rookie then, too, so uh, he and I got pretty close, not only because of our battles on the court, but just because our family life was very similar at that time. Well, that's interesting. Brian Reeves, of course, big country, a very popular player with the Grizzlies, and he kind of dropped off the not only the basketball grid, but basically off the grid, period, uh, since his playing days. And then there was a documentary, Finding Big Country, made about him where a fan uh, tracks him down. I'm assuming you've seen the documentary? I did, yes. It was actually my wife, had, uh, April Reeves, had put it on Facebook, and my wife saw it, and we actually ended up watching it. And it, it made me laugh, but it brought back a lot of good memories as far as you know, time that we spent together, a little bit more about his family, um, and as things, you know, I we both continued on with with growing our families and such too. So, with Brian, you know, our families exchange Christmas cards and that sort of stuff, and follow each other on Facebook. But uh, that's one of the relationships I really miss out of uh, out of my time in the NBA. So, Ben Country's on Facebook. <laughs> he may not be, but his wife is. Okay, his wife is. Well, that makes sense. Um, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, so you spent uh, parts of two seasons there with the Grizzlies, um, and then you also played with the Clippers in 96-97. And, uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, you went on and played a couple seasons in Europe before you wrapped up your career. And, and now you are a loan officer. Uh, how did you get into that? Was that something you studied in school? Well, I, you know, when, when I was at University of Washington, I really focused uh, my bachelor's degree was in marketing and advertising. So sales kind of was the next best thing. Um, I enjoy working in the financial industry. And, and more than anything, uh, being a loan officer, my biggest enjoyment is helping people purchase homes and maintain those homes because, uh, you know, a home is not just a place where you live, but it's an investment in your future, too. And this is pretty cool. I see you call yourself the seven-foot loan officer. That's right. I, I readopted that uh, that moniker, and people tend to remember me off of that um, pretty quickly. So, especially once they meet me face to face. So, it seems to work. I'm probably the tallest loan officer in the industry, at least here in the Northern California, anyway. I'm sure you are. The, that that title probably extends a little bit beyond uh, uh, the Northern California region too. I'm I'm pretty sure you would automatically be the tallest loan officer in Canada as well. Um, well, Rich, it's it's been a great talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time to share some memories, and I uh, hope we get a chance to do this again. Okay, sounds good. And as you heard Rich talk about instilling the message of following your dreams to his kids, he has three sons. Uh, the oldest, Ryan, played basketball at Air Force. The youngest, Jake, has committed to play volleyball at Georgetown College. And the middle sibling, Matt, was drafted in the first round in the 2016 Major League Baseball draft by the Detroit Tigers, and he's now considered one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. So you'll be seeing him in the majors before long. Well, that will do it for this edition of the 90s Basketball Show. Reminder, of course, you can get all previous episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, 
and www.tsn1260.ca. And that's, of course, also where you can catch all the other shows in the Basketball Show family. Until then, my name is Brian Swain, and we'll catch you next time on the 90s Basketball Show.